With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for the legendary law and order stories of the Wild West. This podcast features a forensic psychologist that looks at the history of the most infamous and famous outlaws and cowboys of the Wild West. So sit back, partner, and take a listen. Well, this is part two of the dandy gunfighter, Luke Short, who formed a partnership with Harrison Beeson of Dodge City and operated the Long Branch Saloon. It was the biggest and best-paying gambling house in Dodge at the time. The mayor of Dodge, whose name was Webster, was also running a gambling house and saloon next door that operated by Short. That operated next to Short's. At this time, Dodge City was the shipping point for the Texas cattle. If fortune was to be made every season by the gambling house, it could control this trade, and as Luke Short was from Texas and had once been a cowboy, he held the whip hand over the mayor. So far, at any rate. The mayor did not relish, and as he was a stubborn and strong-minded man himself who broke no opposition if he could help it, he set to work to put Luke out of business. He had an ordinance passed by the city council prohibiting music in all gambling houses and saloons. Short employed a band in his place of business, and Webster did likewise, but the latter was the mayor and therefore in control of the situation, so he thought. The mayor instructed the city marshal to notify Short that the music in his place must be discontinued. That suits me, Lucas reported to have told the marshal. I don't need music in my house to do business. And besides, maintaining a band is expensive. The following night, the only house in the city in which there was music was operated by the mayor. And then Luke smelt a rat. We'll see about this, Luke remarked. The night he re-engaged the band and instructed to go, go ahead, grinding out the old familiar melodies, Luke remained about the place for several hours to see what would happen. As he saw nothing to cause alarm, he concluded go away for a while and pay a visit to his sick friend. He had not left the place more than ten minutes before all the members of the band, among them a woman, the pianist, were arrested and locked up in the city, Calaboose. Luke was notified and came hurriedly down to the saloon. He learned the facts of the arrest and went out to hunt up the officer in charge so he could furnish up the bail, but he could not find him or any other person. All the time, Luke tried to get his employees out of the calaboose. The music in the mayor's place was in full swing. About the time Luke had made up his mind that nothing could be done that night towards the release of the prisoners, he saw the officer who he had been looking for standing some distance away. Luke started toward him. The officer, standing on the sidewalk a foot or so above the street, saw Luke coming and instantly pulled his pistol and fired point-blank. The shot missed and Luke returned the fire, but just as he pulled the trigger, the officer started running and in leaving the sidewalk for the dark street, he fell. Thinking he had hit him, Luke went to his place of business, secured a shotgun, and stood off the town until morning. He accomplished this by refusing to submit to arrest that night. The next morning, he was prevailed upon by to lay aside his weapons to go over to the police court, plead guilty to creating a disturbance. That was what I had promised him if he had, would take off his arms and surrender to the officers. He gave up his pistols and started for the police court with the officers, but instead of them taking him to the police court as they promised, they took him to the city jail and locked him up until the true noon train arrived. The passenger trains going east and west passed each other at Dodge, and Luke was marched to the depot by an escort armed with shotguns and told to choose which train he would take. 
There was nothing left for him to do. They had him and were only waiting for an excuse to get rid of him. He took the eastbound train and landed in Kansas City. It was there. That he, he, uh, he, I was in Denver, he says then, and he wired me to come to Kansas City at once, which I did. He talked the matter over when he met somebody, and he concluded to go up to Topeka and place the matter before the governor. A friend of his is who he met. The next day, he did so. The governor denounced the conduct of the Dodge City authorities, but said that he could do nothing, as the local authorities at Dodge had informed him that they were amply able to preserve the peace and did not desire state interference. They stated to the governor, this is Luke and his friend, that they believed they were able to rehabilitate themselves in Dodge, but did not care to run afoul of state authorities in case they concluded to do so. The governor told them to go ahead and reestablish themselves, if they could, that he would keep out of it and wish them luck. Immediately, he started for Silverton, or his friend started for Silverton, Colorado, where Wyatt Earp was located. Luke went to Caldwell, Kansas, where he had a couple of staunch friends who were willing to take the bit in their mouths and go to the front. Within a week from when Luke and his friend separated in Kansas, they had forces organized and were on the way to Dodge. It was decided that if a fight was all that would satisfy the mayor, a fight he would get. Wyatt was selected to land in Dodge first. With him, but unknown to the authorities, were several desperate men. Several more dropped into town unobserved by the enemy. It finally became whispered about that Wyatt Earp had a strong force of men already domiciled in town in the interest of Luke Short. The mayor called a quick meeting of his friends, and after all they had assembled in the council, informed them solemnly what he had heard about the Earp invasion. Anyone present at the meeting could easily have seen that anything but a fight was what the mayor and his friends were looking for. Someone present suggested that Wyatt Earp be invited to attend the meeting and state, if he would, his position on the matter. The suggestion met with the instant approval of all, and the mayor proceeded to forthwith appoint a committee to call upon her. Wyatt was soon found and told of the wishes. Wyatt said this. Actually, this is what the person did who was designed to, or appointed to talk to him. It will afford me great pleasure to attend your meeting, was the laconic reply of the noble. Actually, this was Wyatt Earp's response. And he was soon the central figure of his fine collection of cutthroats ever assembled. The mayor, addressing Wyatt Earp, inquired as to the truth of the report that he and numerous other men were in the city to reinstate Short and Dodge. Wyatt Earp responded, Mr. Mayor and gentlemen, I guess the report is true. I came here some days ago and thinking that perhaps something might happen where I would need assistance. Brought along some other men who signified a willingness to join in whatever festivities might arise. Moreover, Luke and Bat, Bat Masterson, will each arrive at noon tomorrow, and on their arrival, we expect to open up hostilities. The mayor quickly responded, Now look here, Wyatt, you have no better friends anywhere than we are, and we don't want any more fighting. There has already been enough shooting and killing in Dodge to do for a while. Can't we... Why can't this thing be fixed up before it goes any further? Wyatt said it can, if you're willing to allow Luke to return and conduct his business unmolested. The mayor said, I am perfectly willing to agree to that. And sung out the meeting in a chorus. And so are we, said Wyatt Earp. All right, gentlemen, replied Mr. Earp. There shall be no conflict. I will proceed to inform both Mr. Short and Mr. Masterson of your decision in the case. And I will guarantee that if you keep your part of the agreement, there will be no bloodshed. Wyatt immediately notified Short by, by wire of the complete backdown of the enemy. The enemy, not being sure that Wyatt could control the situation, kept in the background until he had received assurances from both Short and him that he would faithfully live up to the peace terms made by Earp. As soon as things quieted down a little, Short sent for the mayor and sheriff to meet him and some of his friends at his place of business to talk over the situation. Short sent for the mayor and sheriff to meet him and some of his friends at his place of business. The mayor and sheriff came with them, the city attorney, 
and the prosecuting attorney. Short's party consisted of himself, his two partners, Wyatt Earp, and, and uh, another person, Matt Masterson, I believe. Luke addressed the mayor something after this fashion. Mr. Webster, you have on this police force of the city two men who, without any reason known to me, show themselves during the late trouble to be bitter enemies of mine. I want them removed from the force. The mayor assured Luke that he, can, he did not need to give himself any further concern on that score, as both men had resigned. Very well. Said Luke, there is, however, another thing I would wish to call your notice. You had an ordinance about prohibiting music. I want that ordinance repealed. It shall be done, said the mayor. This ended business, Short's business with the mayor. He then turned to the sheriff and said in substance, Mr. Sheriff, we have two men in your office that are objectionable to me, and I would like to have you remove them. And the sheriff promised that they would have to go. Here are the names of the men you can appoint in their place, and he handed the sheriff a piece of paper. All right, Luke, said the sheriff. They were good enough for me. Luke then turned around to the prosecuting attorney and said, I finished bail for Mr. Blank in the sum of 2000 before I was ordered to leave town, and I want that bail bond containing my name returned to me. That'll be easy enough, said the prosecutor. Now, gentlemen, there being nothing further to do, suppose we return to the bar and take a little something just for old time's sake. All right, said everybody. Luke had won a bloodless battle, but that such was the case was no fault of his, for he had been willing to fight at any cause, at any stage at all of the proceeding. Soon enough, Luke would own the town again. They subsequently found that when Mayor Webster learned how Earp had trapped him, he hunted up the sheriff and prosecuting attorney and sent a telegram to the governor, which was signed by all three of them, requesting him to send with as little delay as possible two companies of militia, assuring him that unless that was immediately done, a great tragedy would surely be enacted in the streets of Dodge. The governor, anticipating just such a move like this on the part of the authorities at Dodge as soon as they got frightened and the telegram calling for militia strongly indicated the time had now arrived, refused point-blank to send the militia and reminded the senders of the message they had already repeatedly assured him that they were sufficiently able to handle the situation and did not need the militia. And, said the governor, I expect you to do it. When it became known in Dodge the sort of reply the governor has sent back, Something of consternation took possession of the mayor's followers. Those who had lately been the loudest in their declaration of hostility towards Luke Short were now for peace at any price. Even the mayor himself, who was no coward, saw that the yellow streak he knew was in the makeup of his followers was giving unmistakable signs of recrudescence. He knew that when the time came, he would have to fight the battle alone. He remembered that those very men upon whom he would now have to rely for support are already hidden from Luke Short the night of the arrest, and he could well imagine what they were likely to do now that Short had been strongly reinforced. It was at this stage that the mayor concluded to send for Wyatt Earp and, if possible, bring about a settlement of the difficulty without an appeals to arms. Luke Short, as soon after his restoration to Dodge, concluded to settle up his affairs and moved to Texas. He somehow could not bring himself to like those with whom he had so recently been on the outs, and that fall sold out all his interest in Kansas to his partners and moved to Texas. The fall of 1884 found him the proprietor of the White Elephant Gambling House in Fort Worth. The White Elephant was one of the largest and costliest establishments of its kind. As a matter of course, he made plenty of money, but it required a lot of money to keep him going. He was one of the best-hearted men who ever lived. He could not say no to anyone, and as might be expected, was continually being imposed upon by professional cadgers, who make it a point to borrow all they can and never pay back anything. So you can see the story of Luke Short. He was an interesting fellow indeed, but how did it end for him in his life? Well, he had an encounter 
One of Luke's business associates by the name of Jake Johnson came to where they were they, him and his friends were sitting and informed Luke that Courtright was in the outer lobby and could like to have would talk with him. Courtright now was another interesting fellow. Luke, who had been a substantial friend of Courtright's during his trouble at Fourth Ward, told him he could not think of anything more that he would like to be his friend. Jim Courtright visited in Shorten's Fourth Worth and learned some of him soon after his arrival that he was giving some trouble, which was likely to end seriously with a notoriously local character by the name of George Jim Courtright. It appears that this fellow Courtright, who had killed a couple of men in Fourth Worth, also had a couple more in New Mexico and was dead, dreaded by most of the community. Back to the story, when it was informed Luke Short that Courtright was in the outer lobby, he told him to come in. Johnson said, I did invite him in, but he refused and said, he will tell you to come out. <clears throat> Very well, said Luke Short. I will see what he has to say. And immediately got up and accompanied Johnson to where Courtright was waiting. It did not take long before the meeting between Courtright and Luke Short to discover that the latter's mission, Courtright, was anything but one of peace. He brought along no olive branch, but instead of brace of pistols, conspicuously displayed. It was not a parlay that he came out for, for about fighting and his demeanor indicated desire that hostilities are imminent. No time was wasted in exchanging words. Once the men faced each other, both drew their pistols at the same time, but as usual, Luke Short spoke first, and a bullet from a forty-five caliber went crashing through Courtright's body. The shock caused him to reel backward, then he got another and still another. By the time his lifeless form had reached the floor, Luke Short had succeeded in shooting him five times. Luke Shore was arrested by the deputy sheriff and taken to the county jail where he remained during the night. The next day he was taken before a justice who held him for the grand jury. This ended the case as the grand jury refused to indict on the evidence, holding that it was a case of justifiable homicide. And this was the last of Luke Short's shooting scrapes with the exception of a little gun dispute three years later. Now remember, Bat Masterson was one of the good friends of Luke Short. And Bat Masterson, by the way, died in... 1921 of a heart attack. <clears throat> Luke Short, though, died in 1893. He died at age 39, relatively young. Masters lasted another 20-something years without it. But in, 19, in 1893, something apparently was seriously wrong with Luke Short's health. Doctors determined he was suffering from one of the kidney diseases that were now under the name of Bright's disease. Bright's disease is a historical classification of kidney disease that are described in modern medicine as acute or chronic nephritis. Uh, it was uh, characterized by swelling in the presence of albumin or protein in the urine. Um, usually the signs was happening over there usually cause a lot of problems with inflammation and hemorrhaging. Uh, sometimes blindness and coma could develop from it as well and cardiac issues. And a lot of other people who've had uh, disease uh, include Alice Hathaway Lee Roosevelt, the first wife of Theodore Roosevelt. Emily Dixon, Dickinson had the same problem as well. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, the London pastor, and others. These diseases are described in modern medicine, again, as acute or chronic nephritis. Edema, then called dropsy, would have contributed to a slight puffiness in his face. That's because the kidneys couldn't flush out what was in their system. Short was in Fort Worth when a Kansas newspaper reported that he was lying at death's door. Short and a number of friends 
with Hattie beside him, took the northbound Santa Fe train for Kansas. The place offered a change of climate and the medicinal qualities of, his famous, of the famous waters, which would hopefully prolong his life. But he died at the Gilbert House in Gouda Springs in Kansas. The local paper reported Luke Short died at the Gilbert this morning of dropsy. Just two days before Short's death, Hattie sat at his bedside in Kansas. Again, he was only 39 of age. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.